0: Hello and welcome to the Do One Better podcast in philanthropy, sustainability, and social entrepreneurship. I'm your host, Alberto Ligi from London. Please click that subscribe button and follow us if you're not doing so already, and do leave us a rating and a review. It helps others to find this show as well. Today, it's an absolute pleasure to welcome onto the show, Maya Tzisviler, Chief Executive Officer of the UBS Optimus Foundation. And I guess you could say the focus for today is creating an impact economy. I know that's front and center in Maya's thinking. And so today we're going to be looking at the work that the foundation is doing. We'll look at the, uh, at the work they do in traditional grant making, but also blended finance, social investing, intergenerational dynamics, next gen, as it were, and changing appetites and approaches. We'll look at their thematic areas of focus, geographic areas of focus, and also these collectives that they have, where they're convening folks around different thematic areas, whether it's social finance collective or a climate collective, a lot of mutual learning, cross-pollination of ideas, and we'll delve into a specific uh, anecdote or a specific case study there that I find fascinating as well. So here we are, creating an impact economy. Enjoy the conversation. And Maya, without further ado, a big heartfelt welcome onto the Do One Better podcast today.
1: Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here with you
0: was well, great to see you. You're out there in Switzerland. I'm here in the UK. Not much of a time difference at all. You're not the first person from UBS Optimus ever to visit uh, our wonderful podcast. We had your predecessor, Phyllis Costanza, on the show, who was chief executive of the UBS Optimus Foundation. And now that's your title. You're running the UBS Optimus Foundation. And I think what would be great to do is perhaps starting off by finding out a bit about what the foundation's about. It's been about five years since Phyllis was last on the show. So give us a little bit of an overview of of what's been happening over the last few years and what the foundation's doing.
1: Yeah, sure. Happy to. I mean, the UBS Optimus Foundation, excitingly, is turning 25 years uh, this year. Wow. Um, So big milestone for us. Um, We really invest alongside UBS clients to ensure children's immediate and future well-being so that's kind of our our vision we're a little unique in that we're not an endowed foundation we really work with clients whether those are individuals or corporates to to really be able to drive systemic and catalytic impact for marginalized communities in specific areas of education health and the environment Um, we I guess since 2019 since Phyllis was your guest we've Quadrupled in size, so it's been quite an impressive growth journey, both in terms of the amounts of funds that we've been able to raise, um, you know, about uh, 300 million last year, but also in the in terms of the programs, the number of programs that we have under management, about 400 million now. So, so quite a quite an impressive growth journey, and I think um, really excitingly, kind of framed it around a a broader vision or an ambition to try and help build an impact economy and what we mean by that is really an economy where environmental and social outcomes are built into priced into uh, any business and investment decision so that's kind of our overall framing and under that you know we have a few key levers that we're 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 trying to pull and and happy to talk more about those as well
0: excellent and so you touched on thematically geographically
1: so we're, we're fairly geographically agnostic. We do focus on marginalized communities, as I said. So have been looking at um, East and, and Western Africa, a kind of a hub in Southeast Asia. But ultimately, because we work very closely with clients, clients have different preferences and different geographies that they want to be active in and so we do adapt a little bit uh to to that but but certainly really looking at marginalized communities so mostly low and uh, and middle income countries
0: gotcha gotcha now i've been fortunate enough over the years to to be invited to some of your events and and get to meet some of the folks who you you work with both on the donor side and also those who who are recipients of 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 the philanthropic generosity um, tell me a little bit about how you go about that uh, on the on the pipeline, as it were, for grantees and partners and, and folks who you'd like to work with to support um, going forward.
1: Yeah, so maybe that brings us a little bit to our kind of our approach or the key levers that we pull. We really decided that given that we're a foundation that's closely linked to the bank, how do we really tap into that unique um, advantage that we have in a way? and and, and really framed it around, number one, blended finance. So how can philanthropy play a key role in trying to crowd in also more commercial capital? And then also making sure that there are, quote unquote, impact products that are uh, more mainstreamed um, within on the bank shelf. So that's been a key, really key focus for us and really exciting to see how much that's evolved over the years where we started off really with individual small transactions. So small debt investments, equity investments, um, and then looked at how we can scale those by really creating structures where we can still leverage our philanthropic capital to be that, catalytic first loss or catalytic push, but then also make sure that we have these larger uh, wrappers that allow us to get to scale and where we can basically crowd in more commercial capital. So really exciting to see that we have a few blended finance products now on the mainstream UBS shelf uh, whether that be in partnership with asset management or now also recently looking at one with our investment bank colleagues so that's been i think a major journey that we've been on and and one where it certainly hasn't been easy and I know, I won't lie to you it, it's it's been it's been quite challenging to get people to think differently about these products that are really focusing on low middle income countries on the most marginalized communities but but really exciting to see that that's really coming to the forefront and seen also um, as a, um, not only a, an opportunity for more impact, but also as a business opportunity. So that's one key aspect that, that I find really exciting. And in terms of, you asked me about how do we, how do we build those partnerships? How do we build that pipeline? Well, we've built a team around it. So we have a team of thematic experts education, health, environment. And then we have a team of social investment experts. And I think it's the combination of the two that makes us really in a strong position to be able to really build the right type of pipeline and the right types of partnerships.
0: And, um, well, that's fascinating stuff. And I remember doing a bit of research ahead of today's uh, uh, chat Mm. and seeing the different ways that somebody who's on your website can get involved. And there was clearly one of those... Um, sort of let's call them impact investing opportunities as well S- saying you know if you want to find out a little bit more about uh, combining a financial return with a social return let us know we can help you with that
1: yeah absolutely and really we're all about impact first but if we can use our philanthropic capital that is able to take more risk that is more patient to attract, on the one hand, more commercial capital. In other cases, it might be more, um, you know, government funding, uh, because ultimately those are the two, if you want, routes to scale that we see to actually have more impact. We like to think of ourselves as trying to crowd in more money, um, but also better money, or for that money to be used more effectively to have to have impact.
0: How well versed would you say your your traditional base is? In understanding impact investing uh, and how that might work, and how that might differ from ESG, or, or you know, you have all of these different terminologies. So, tell me a little bit about how you how you characterize your base and their understanding of impact investing, and then also that process of educating people and getting them up to speed on what what the latest and best practice and what that looks like.
1: Yeah, I'm so happy that you're bringing that up because. That's, that's also been a journey in, in realizing that the, uh, the f- philanthropic clients or, or, or the client base that we work with is, has also been evolving over time, right? Um, we see that the next generation is increasingly interested in that continuum between giving and investing, and that it's not just either I give or I invest, but it's what can I do all along that spectrum and it's certainly, we've seen a lot of demand for educational around this topic. And that also what led us to basically develop and um, bring to life what we call collectives. And in our collectives, what we do is we bring different types of philanthropists together around a certain topic and uh, that they care about um, so that they can pool their funding on the one hand, but can also go on that educational journey to learn more about that topic, learn from each other, and learn from experts. And one of those collectives that we set up was around this whole concept of social finance or social investments. So we brought this group of, of philanthropists on this journey with us around while well, thinking about what are some of these different instruments? When do you deploy them? How do you deploy them? And how can you have the most um, impact? And giving them very live and tangible examples of such instruments that their money is going to. And then also what we do is bring them on a trip um, to and and the last trip was to Ghana actually, where they were able to themselves go to the ground and see some of these social enterprises that they've that their money has gone towards. So that's on the on the donor side, the collective side. And then on the on the impact side what we do is basically bring a number of organizations together all towards a a common in jargon you would say theory of change but it basically together to solve the same problem together um, and all all trying to solve one piece of the puzzle and so i gave the example of the um the accelerate collective as we call it around social investment we have another one that's around climate and and there we look at well you know the different pieces of the puzzle whether that be policy whether it be communities um whether it be around financing, and each organization, whether it be a social enterprise, whether it be an NGO, whether it be a, a government entity, plays one role in together achieving that common um, impact uh, and, and solving the the problem that we set out to to try and, and solve together.
0: Fascinating. And in this that social investment sort of collective, I imagine probably there was a, a range of of views of understanding of knowledge and depth of knowledge about what what impact investing social investing is all about i'm wondering whether by the nature of some of those folks who support you who are your clients already many of whom are accomplished entrepreneurs uh very well versed in in finance themselves whether there was a bit of an iterative process and perhaps they're gaining information from you, but some of the insights that those folks have who are coming into that collective may then help inform how you go forward as well in your product development and approach.
1: You absolutely hit the nail on the head and that's what's so exciting, right? It's that that mutual learning. We learn from them, they learn from each other as well as peers, and then we all collectively learn from, from experts. And so in the social finance collective, we have people that are private equity experts but on the other hand, we also have some people that are lawyers or that are um, psychologists. So it is it is a very wide range of, of expertise. Um, and, and so it is it, it's really interesting to see how much we've we've learned from, from each other. One, I think, really interesting example and anecdote that I, I like to share, particularly on the on the climate collective, is one of the members is a, is a tech entrepreneur himself. Um, he was really impressed by the work of the collective and the work of some of the grantees on the ground, but he felt like uh, as for talking to them and meeting them, uh, one of the main blockages was um, you know, the need to be able to collect data and monitoring it in a, in a more effective way. So then what he did, he's, he actually went back and developed an app himself to be able to do that monitoring and be able to basically democratize data collection in the carbon space. And so he developed that himself and he brought it to the collective group and to the grantees so that they actually not only got financial resources from him as a donor, but then got that in-kind app that was actually, that's actually being used on the ground now. So I think that's a great example of how we can all learn from each other and benefit from different people's uh, expertise.
0: That's not just a great example. It's a very cool example. I think, you know, many people would wish to be in that position where those folks you're convening are actually adding value in in so many different ways and and, uh, uh, fascinating, really fascinating. What about between those collectives? Are there folks who sit on multiple collectives? Do the collectives interact with each other across thematic areas? Because obviously with the sustainable development goals, you have 17 of those. Everything is intertwined, right? SDG four education, SDG five gender, nutrition, SDG two, everything somehow overlaps. And I'm just wondering what's that uh, interaction relationship between the different collectives?
1: Yeah, so so far we have three different collectives. One is on social finance, one is on climate, the other one is around prevention of family separation. And so we do bring all of those collective members. um, They have their individual journey that is linked to that specific collective topic. And then we have a set of common modules for all of the three around more, you know, SDGs, strategic philanthropy. and so that's a nice way for them to come together. And now what's that achieved is that a number of these collective members are not only a member of one collective, but they're a member of, of, of multiple collectives. And we are now in the process of thinking about how can we also um, you know, develop um, additional collectives. But I think it's about finding the balance of making sure that these collectives are in depth enough and provide that learning journey that is, absol- that is very meaningful to collective members. And and ensuring that we have enough capacity to be able to provide that in-depth kind of accompaniment and the ability of the collective members to be able to really follow the work that is being supported. So so that it's it's not just here's a theoretical understanding, but you can actually deep dive into it. You can go and see the work, and you can actually influence and learn from it. So that's a little bit of the balance that we're trying to find. Having uh, you know, providing a few more opportunities and and having opportunities for members to learn from each other, but not spreading ourselves so thin that it becomes a, um, a less engaging also experience and an ability to have impact.
0: I guess in order to achieve that, right? Striking that right balance, not diluting yourself too much, making sure that each interaction is of substance, you necessarily need to have within your team folks who are really deep sector experts, right? In w- whether it's education or health or climate or what have you, but whatever thematic area you want to drill into, you need to have that talent in-house who who is extremely well-versed in that space, right?
1: Yeah, and, and that's been really, really important to us is to have that level of uh, thematic expertise. So our we have health experts, we have education experts, we have environmental experts, and that's, I think, what makes us unique, right? That we're not just providing superficial advice but we are really able to go in depth have the the network in-house to be able to 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 make the right connections and then of course you know have the right types of build the right types of partnerships because I think you know thinking that we can do it all alone uh, I think would be would be foolish of us because we can only be more impactful if we if we build the right partnerships with others who have then the local network the local understanding the link to the local communities and that's the other piece that's really important to us is making sure that we work very very closely with um, local organizations grassroots organizations and being able to build those partnerships
0: that's wonderful let's flesh out how that works a little bit so how do you identify those local partners on the ground is your team just proactively scouting the landscape and thinking okay these are folks who we feel we should speak with. Are people reaching out to you out of the blue and saying, look, I know you're funding so-and-so next door in in my country. I'd love to have an introduction or I'd love to have a chat with you. Tell us a little bit about how you develop those partnerships which Hmm. are invaluable. And then obviously in turn, they would have that wonderful in-depth local knowledge, right, in terms of what what can be done.
1: I think we're in the fortunate position now that people know enough about what we do that we have both people reaching out to us based on their understanding of what our areas of focus are, but we also then proactively seek um, new partnerships through our our own networks um, and our um, also visits to in-country. So I would say a few years ago, it might have been more difficult to also have people reach out to us. I think now we are in the fortunate position that it works both ways. We do proactively seek out and we have people also reaching out to us. We also do thanks to our, um, also network to, to, to donors, have people come to us with ideas and suggestions for us to, to consider. So it's also the, the word of mouth that, that, that helps as well through our kind of extended network. So
0: you're on something of a uh, virtual cycle, we could say riding that wave.
1: I hope so i mean it's, it's not only virtuous right you also have a lot of random requests that come in uh, but but yeah i mean i think it's a good problem to have
0: yeah now you we touched a little bit on that sector knowledge that you need to have whether it's education or climate needless to say at ubs you probably have fairly good sector knowledge of finance and and product development structuring and um give us a little bit of insight into that so w- with with the world of social investments impact investments one of those challenges is that deal flow origination Mm. of interesting things to back what's less spoken about sometimes is the the innovative side of structuring a financial product that enables you to do this and possibly starting to move a little bit from what is traditionally more of a sort of private equity space where each individual investment proposition needs to be handheld and you know bespoke um towards perhaps creating a little bit more of a fluid marketplace where, Mm. where these things become uh, easier to access, easier to trade if you want, and perhaps more uh, diverse in their composition and in their nature. Tell me a little bit about that.
1: Yeah. And I think, yeah, we are obviously linked to, to, to UBS bank and have a lot of knowledge in terms of, of structuring and in terms of how do you structure things for, for scale as well. I think what's, What's exciting and where we've seen a, a, a really a positive trend is the willingness to look at—I call them—less traditional structures for a bank around this whole concept of blended finance, where you're basically bringing different types of investors alongside each other, each with with a different impact and return expectation, and therefore, you know, leveraging some of the 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 philanthropic or public funding. To come in with as pri- who have a primary objective that deep impact low middle income countries really kind of very clearly linked to social and environmental outcomes on the one side to help de-risk and attract more commercial funding, which ultimately will be looking more at market rate returns, and so the ability to put such structures on uh, you know on a on a large bank's platform is. You know, is it has been an an, an evolution, and one where um, I think UBS is still one of the first to have some of these products really on it on its shelf. I think um, maybe the other part of your question is is how do you start to create an an impact marketplace? And um, yeah, I think we've we've certainly been thinking a lot about how do you enable that and you know, what are some of the bottlenecks around creating an impact marketplace? It's around, well, what does good impact look like? Until you really define what good impact looks like, it's difficult to have a marketplace where you have a supply and demand interacting with each other. And that brings us to our third and last pillar, which is around impact transparency. And so really one of our core objectives is to try and crack that nut, quote unquote, around impact transparency, uh, where basically, as long as we don't have a set of impact standards or an impact, we're looking at an impact rating tool where people can really look at certain propositions and determine whether that is fits their impact profile, it's going to be very difficult to create a marketplace. So we're really excited to thinking about an impact rating tool where basically we're looking at um, you know this education program to what extent is it reaching the most vulnerable to what extent is it uh, is it based on good evidence to what extent can it then be scaled and replicated so thinking about three different dimensions and then coming up with a rating similar to a bond-like rating where it, it would basically be a triple a or a triple b and then that would enable people to make decisions around how they how they think about impact um, not trying to develop a proprietary tool trying to get people along the journey with us but it is the beginning of a journey and we're, we're, we're really um looking forward to engaging with others um on that because coming with yet another methodology uh, i think there are enough methodologies and things out there uh, i think it's about uh, hopefully making the making it less fragmented and, and and getting a set of standards that people can get behind
0: yeah definitely having an impact rating tool um it sounds great it's um Arguably more complicated than it sounds. Absolutely. Right? But
1: it's a big ambition. And I think we're excited about the ambition of bringing people together around something like that. And I think it is necessary if we want to also get more commercial funding into, into the space.
0: On that point, on that commercial funding and just, uh, you know, the, this increasing emphasis or importance or prominence of, of social investment, impact investing yeah. within your world... Let's say how much of a headache or how much of a refreshing aspect is it to gradually go beyond traditional grant making and now have such um, a developing constituent of yours that isn't about traditional grant making, but it's about making impact through different ways. Is that something that you find pushes the envelope a little bit your comfort zone perhaps do you find it refreshing do you find it sometimes aggravating what's your take on it when you see things morph and needless to say there being some ambiguity as well in terms of how things are going to play out because in some respects it's you're you're going into uncharted territory to some extent
1: yeah i mean i think I think just to clarify, we're not gonna move away from grant making. I think grant making has a really important role to play. And we're, it, it's something that we're going to, where we think that the role of, that, that grant making has a um, is fundamental in trying to test innovative approaches, fill in gaps, come in at a very early stage. So that grant making piece is, is absolutely essential. But where where we see the potential and where, what we're excited about is thinking about philanthropy and using grants as a way to catalyze others or the way to catalyze more investment. So uncharted territory, yes, but in, on a, in a way, we also want to take some of the some of the positives around grant making, which is the emphasis on actually having an impact, measuring it, and then bringing that more to the social investment space so that actually the that comes back to my impact economy kind of vision which is around how do you how do you price that in how do you make sure that the investments that are being made are not just measured based on their financial return but they're also being measured based on their social and environmental return i think that's that's at least what really excites me is trying to trying to push that envelope um a little bit more
0: Tell me, how did you get into all of this? It sounds like a dream job. I know uh, when I've spoken with Phyllis, your predecessor, she loved it. Uh, tell me about uh, how you landed where you are today.
1: It is, it is a dream job. It is, it is a wonderful opportunity to try and, uh, yeah, and, and push the envelope and, and change the system in a way. Um, I think I always, I always knew that I wanted to be in the in the kind of social and environmental space, but I also always knew that. I saw the, the the potential and the benefit of public private partnerships and of leveraging some of the the power of the private sector to be able to work side by side with uh, with public and and civil society. So my journey, first of all, as a as a child, I I, I grew up in many many different countries. I moved every two years, uh, ranging from Argentina to Canada to China to Peru. Um, so there was a little bit of that natural kind of inclination to seeing that you know level of inequalities and wanting to change that and then i made a kind of a conscious decision to start in the private sector first so i worked in emerging markets for a large multinational and then shifted towards the uh, the social and environmental impact space Um, worked for un type organizations worked in um corporate social responsibility and then saw this role with an Optimus foundation which felt like the best of both worlds i.e you know having private and philanthropic funding uh but then also t- hopefully trying to influence the the way that 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 large um financial institution thinks about having impact
0: i love it um what's that key takeaway that you'd love for the audience to keep in mind after they finish listening to today's episode
1: I think it's about how do we rethink what philanthropy can achieve and what, what the philanthropy is all about. Continuing to value the importance of grant making, but rethinking how ph- philanthropy can really have the most impact. Getting more of it, absolutely, but also getting to think about how can it leverage and crowd in more additional funding to have impact. That, that's at least what keeps me up at night these days. <laughs>
0: Excellent. Excellent. Well, look, here's to rethinking how philanthropy can make the biggest impact. And Maya, thank you so very much for uh, joining me and joining us on the Do One Better podcast today. An absolute pleasure.
1: Thank you. It's been it's been wonderful. And I want to thank you for all the amazing work that you're doing with your with your podcast. So thank you.
0: Perfect. And that's a wrap. Thanks very much for tuning in. As always, you've been listening to a great chat with Maya Spieler, Chief Executive Officer of the UBS Optimist Foundation. For information about this conversation and more than 250 other interviews and case studies with remarkable thought leaders in philanthropy, sustainability, and social entrepreneurship, just visit our website at lidji.org. That's L-I-D-J-I.org. Please click that subscribe button and follow us if you're not doing so already, and do leave us a rating and a review. It helps others to find the show as well. Thoroughly enjoy producing today's episode for you, and I'll catch you this coming Monday.